Hey everyone, it is Andy and welcome back. It has been way too long. However, what you doing is returning for season two. And this episode, we're going to start off with an amazing guest. I have Diana Figueroa on and she is going to tell an inspiring story about working from an eight to five job, becoming an entrepreneur and doing this all through the pandemic that is known as COVID. So I'm going to get right into it. I hope you guys all enjoy more podcasts coming soon. No set schedule, but we're going to start doing shorter individual podcasts and some guests that I have lined up that are going to be super exciting. So stay tuned, stay subscribed, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, Deanna, how's it going? So good, Andy. It's a beautiful day. Sun is shining. Uh, I know um, in the pregame we were talking about you. the sun, and I'm I'm a little jealous. I'm not going to lie. I'm still a little jealous. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. It's one of the things about living um, kind of between places, because I do want to live between New York and um, and Lima. Um, so I want to kind of chase the summer and that's, that would be fantastic. (laughs) I, I don't know. When I was young, I was like, ah, I want seasons. Now that I'm getting a little bit older, I'm like, "Mm, I think I want to control my seasons. I don't really like the extremes. I would love to always be in spring and fall. If I could time spring and fall perfectly, like every time, I think that would be my, my love for, uh, you'd leave out the summer. I think I would. I don't love heat. Like. I don't know. Like, I think if I had to choose summer or winter, I'd choose winter. But uh, I, you can always put on an extra jacket. You can always put on gloves. Summer, like, you're just, I just feel like sometimes I'm trapped in air conditioning. And uh, it's just, I don't know. I do love yeah. the sun, though. So, I don't know. Maybe I should just stick to my four seasons. We'll see how it is. <laughs> but fair, fair. So, I wanted to bring you on today because you have a story that is one of my favorite stories in the world. It's someone who was working, I'm going to call it an eight to five job because it sounds less, less terrible. Cause I know some people actually don't love their job. Some people actually do love their job, but they just want to move to a job where they're their own boss. So it's not really, you know, a, a life crushing job or anything like, that. so we're going to call it the eight to five job. What started, like, did, have you always wanted to run your own business? You have your own business today. You went, you came from an eight to five job. And then also what was the catalyst that got you going in that? Sure. So it was like a number of things. Um, I didn't always know that I was going to leave corporate or leave eight to five work for a corporation. I didn't like grow up thinking that though. I did have like an entrepreneurial spirit my whole life. Um, but what happened was I was, I guess about 35 and I was working in tech. Um, and I started, I was traveling the world quite a bit because of the fact that I was working in tech and and that salary in New York city kind of allows you. And I had the money for it. And I, um, and because I was traveling alone a lot, I started going on yoga retreats and cause that was a great way to travel safely alone as a woman mm-hmm. and, um, and kind of like have friends, but you didn't have to hang out with them. Um, and so on one of the yoga retreats, I was like, I can do this. I can start a yoga retreat company. So I kind of hooked up with a woman there that, also that had her own business and we decided to go in on business together and and launched a yoga retreat business. So I was doing that with the, um, the security blanket of working in a corporation still. Um, so, and I was working at a corporation that allowed unlimited vacation days and kind of work from anywhere. So I could do that. And I started to develop this like digital nomad life before digital nomad was a thing before (laughs) it was like a word. (laughs) What year was this? I was like, I guess it was 2017, 2017. Yeah. So it was like, kind of like I saw an opportunity. I I always push the boundaries. So I saw an opportunity and I was like, how much can I push of like going away on these yoga retreats and also working in this corporate job without like basically being fired. So, um, and I liked corporate. I, I was a salesperson. So in tech, so I, I liked that element and I liked the, um, the like lavish pieces of it where I was like, at nice dinners, winding down in clients, constantly in a different city, <laughs> stuff like that. But that was kind of like all I liked out of it. I liked the relationship building, but I didn't love the slog of things. And I certainly didn't love the anxiety surrounding it. 
Um, so then on one of the yoga retreats, I was um, scouting locations in Peru and I met a man. I met um, a guy there on Tinder, actually. And, um, and we started dating long distance. And he was coming to New York all the time. I was going to South America to meet him all the time. We'd meet up in like different places within. And I'm running the yoga retreat business. I'm working in corporate still. And, you know, kind of like start like mitigating this relationship, which I never even wanted a long distance relationship. So then um, I switched jobs at this point. I, I moved to Pinterest. So here I am like at a platform. It's like I've made it in my mind of, corporate America, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm at this company that's well known where, um, pre IPO, then I was there post IPO. And it was like, what you, you know, I, I kind of had dream dreamt about essentially. Um, and I was so unhappy and I was just so unhappy there. Like I, I didn't fit in with the culture. I didn't like, I felt, it felt like a toxic environment. It felt very dog eat dog. Um, and I couldn't find my place. It, and I couldn't find my footing there as well. And I don't know if my, it was because my values were changing too. Like I was on this precipice of change, right? I'm straddling this like new relationship, uh, entrepreneurship in, in the works and um, also working at, at a very demanding corporate job, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm noticing that I'm getting like unhealthy because at companies like that, they feed you, you never leave the office. So it's like, this blessing and curse where you're like becoming a robot to them, you know? And so that was like one thing. And I was like, started to have panic attacks and just like, I I think I, yeah, like I was living a life that wasn't really congruent with my values because of the stress and pressure of that job or the way in which that I interpreted that job. I I was flying back to Peru with, um, to the United States with my husband, with my boyfriend at the time. And at the Atlanta border, we got stopped. He was detained and kept in a detainee room, secondary inspection for 10 hours. Oh, shoot. Separated from me with no food or water. Um, and they went through his phone and accused him of coming to the U.S. on a tourist visa to marry me, which would be the which would be visa fraud. And um, they sent him back to Peru and banned him from the U.S. for five years. Wow. Yeah, it was, like, pretty traumatic. I was at the airport. I was, like, trying to call a lawyer and trying to figure out what I could do. Like, I didn't understand why this happened or what what was happening. So, um, you know, that uh, unfortunately, that's what that can happen at the border. And it's kind of arbitrary based on the custom border patrol agents that are there and how they decide that they want to treat you or treat um, whatever foreigner is coming over across the border that day. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty traumatic. And so we, I hopped a flight back to Peru and he happened to be on it. Thank God. I I took the next flight back to Peru. I flew back with him. Yeah. And I, I, you know, he was traumatized. He thought he was going to go to jail. Um, they treated him like a criminal, even though he didn't do anything wrong. And, um, we kind of like took some time to figure out what we were going to do next. We got a lawyer and the next step was to kind of get married to, to be able to figure out how we could be together and bring him back to the U S. So we got married a few months later. We kind of like eloped. Um, it was a quick wedding and in Peru. And then I was in a long distance marriage with him. And so I was oh. running the yoga retreat business. Yeah. I was working at Pinterest. I was constantly flying to, South America to visit him and he couldn't like come see me while I was working, which was also kind of hard. And I was just like burnt out. I was burning myself out. I was really burning the candle at both ends and my feet never really on the ground. I, you know, really literally probably cause I was constantly on a plane. Um, so we were in a long distance marriage and I was asking my company at the, you know, Pinterest at the time, if they would, moved me to their Sydney office, their Toronto office, their, you know, Sao Paulo office or whatever, and like try to get moved to him. And they mm. were kind of like dangling the carrot and then, yeah, you know how that happens in corporate um, where there was like these like arbitrary goals I had hit that I wasn't sure 
when I hit them, then there was something else didn't hit something like that. It's so, so funny. Um, Cause like when that, so I had a very similar experience, like not, I mean, not, I mean, mine was just with a pay raise. Right. So it was nothing really big, but like, it's so funny. Like at, in retrospect, I was like, man, like that was a bummer of a thing that happened to me. And I have heard this, this is like a common thing. I had no idea. Yeah. This like you, you, that you don't set the expectations for people or you do and then you don't follow through and this is big in corporate that this happens to people where it's like there is a there's a promise for them and they're working toward it and then they're not able to achieve it based on some barriers that no one kind of like told them about in the first place um was what happened with yours as well? Very similar. Yeah. I mean, it was basically like, Hey, we, you know, you took on this new job responsibility. We would love to give you a pay raise, but you know, budgets, it's, you know, complicated. So how about this? How about we have these really, really easy goals for you to get and you execute those goals. We'll get you your pay raise. And then, you know, the goals were met and then they're like, well, at the end of the year, we'll get you a pay raise. Right. And then at the end of the year came like, Ooh, but you know what? I know you did everything we asked you to, but you could have done it better. So we're going to push it out one more yeah. year and give you another chance to get this magical pay raise. And it's like, okay, like <laughs> it's just annoying. Cause like, and and obviously okay, my you, stress was, leave? yeah. And like my stress wasn't to what your stress was, but at the same time, it's like you come home and you're just kind of beaten down and like, you're not kind of like, at least in my experience, I wasn't a very fun person to be around because it more of like, it's kind of like, you know, if you, I would imagine, you know, if you have a dog and you just, you offer it a treat and you just keep and keep taking the treat away, eventually the dogs can get a little mad. Right. And I kind of felt how that's how I was. I was just in that, that state where I was just like, man, I feel like I'm trapped, but I just don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. And did you end up leaving? I did. And I found luckily like, I had a friend like message me about three weeks later and they're like, Hey, do you want to come work for our company? I was like, yes, I would anything, anything. And my wife even gave me a three month, yeah. like you get three months to figure something out. So I was, and I was on like month two. So it was, it was time. Exactly. Like the people around me were like, what's going on with you? Like, this is like, you know, it was just, it was taking over my life. The, um, this like arbitrary goal that I couldn't hit. And I also felt like a loser too, like, which is like a sad thing. Like, I'm like, why can't I get the thing I need from mm -hmm. this company that is supposed to value me, you know? Um, and so I'm starting to like measure my worth by my productivity that like some arbitrary bell curve is, is like assigning me a, a grade and stuff. And that felt bad. It just felt so bad. And I, it was being totally mishandled and um, I was really unhappy with, the way things were. So um, then COVID came around and I could see that like the world was closing. And mm -hmm. if I wasn't going to get to Peru to kind of be with my husband, um, we were not going to be, we were going to be separated for a while. So I, I just, I quit and I, um, I had to flee New York city because. Oh, wow. You just quit cold turkey. <laughs> No, I, I, so I kind of, I, I was thinking about it and, um, it was like February and I was like feeling like I didn't want to. And I kind of was like planning that I was going to head to Peru with him. And at that point we were like, I think that we're going to quit. I'm, you know, I'm quit the job and then figure something else out, figure out, start a business, you know, become a coach. I had been thinking about that a bit, mm -hmm. but I had to, ex I had to accelerate the process of moving because of the fact that um, the world was closing. So I did, I did quit cold Turkey in February and then knowing that I was not going to have a job and knowing that I could handle that and then had to move up my move date because of the fact that like the borders were closing. So I, I fled New York with my apartment still full. I only had like four pieces of luggage and my mom and sister moved into this, went into the city to move me out. Yeah. It was like, you know, it looked like an abandoned apartment. My sister said, <laughs> oh my God. um, so then, yeah. So I flew into Peru. It was a 36 hour flight. Cause I had to take three layovers. Cause it was like the last flight out. And then the borders closed behind me. 
remained closed to the rest of the world for um, nine months. Oh, wow. So you were, you were locked in. Yeah. Yeah. I was locked there. Leave back because, um, you know, it was get flight. You, you couldn't just then come back. You know, you couldn't enter back the country and I wasn't a resident yet. So I was like stuck there. And I moved into an Airbnb with my husband, who I was with before. We had never been together more than, than two weeks um, or like three weeks, maybe at a maximum. Um, and we had to like, we had to live together in a very strict quarantine on a lawn that we were only allowed out like, like probably like a day. <laughs> um, and I had to like grapple. I had to like face losing my identity very heavily aligned to being like independent New Yorker, um, you know, spending my life there, um, being really good at job or from what I thought and, um, you know, working for these tech companies and having status and things like that. And I was like a nobody here. Like no one knew me and have friends and um, I didn't like have a job or enter a university where I could like make friends there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really went through like a, a big identity, like crisis, I guess. Um, and also becoming a wife too. Like I never did that one before. <laughs> and you were so. <laughs> very, very going to have a very close relationship now because I'm, I mean, I don't know what the restrictions were in Peru, but I'm assuming you probably didn't leave your household much. Right. We were just stuck here and everything was closed. Restrictions were really strict here. We had one of the worst quarantines in all the world. Um, everything was closed. There was a curfew at eight, you know, six or eight p.m. Oh, wow. Um, no beaches open. No parks open. You couldn't even like, yeah, you couldn't do anything. No yoga. No, like the only thing open were grocery stores essentially. Um, so it was strict, and I was like, and we were in an Airbnb too. We weren't even in our apartment or anything, you know. So eventually. It took us about four months before quarantine lifted and we, um, we were able to get an apartment and I had to kind of take time to like reset from the burnout that I had been feeling. I sunsetted my yoga retreat business because of COVID. It just felt too difficult to like mm-hmm. have an experiential travel business, you know, and also it had come to an end with um, my partner. Like we were, we went in different directions. So, um, I decided to focus on building out a coaching business. So, as an executive coach, essentially career coach. And uh, in December of that year, I launched a coaching business completely virtual um, from Peru with the North and Europe. That's kind of the clients that I work with. Oh, okay. Um, and I'm iterating. I mean, I, I just, yeah, I, I just celebrated year anniversary last month or rather December of 2021 um, and we pivoted and now we're heading into corporations. I have a team and we're coming in and helping to build their mid-level leaders um, and working on leadership development. So we empower, um, we empower leaders with values-driven contribution um, and we just come in and basically um, have a variety of modules which include workshops, one-on-one coaching, group coaching, um, and panels, and we work on personal leadership development from an empowerment standpoint. Basically, like I focus on authenticity and being exactly who you are, which is who who I couldn't be at the role <laughs> I was in when I was really unhappy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and also, like I realized when I was living a life that wasn't congruent with my values, I was lost, and like that's when I started panic attacks and like mm-hmm. being um, like getting sick getting physically ill. Um, so I want people to like have work suck a little less and have it like, and be able to enjoy it and actually design the life that they want. Um, instead of like waxing poetic and being like, I wish I could do this, or Mm -hmm. I wish I could up and move to Peru, or I wish I could, you know, whatever it is. Like I want them to feel empowered to do exactly what it is that they want to do without any limiting beliefs holding them back, which is like, such the dream, right? But oh, 100%. I wanted to do that with a corporate lens on. So because I have this, like, you know, I teach meditations and I have yoga retreat. So, so the question about entrepreneurship, Andy, that you asked me before about how to like kind of get into it is mm-hmm. like, I slid into it because 
I felt like I had the, um, I had the confidence of starting a business with someone else who already owned a business. So that helped me with the confidence part of like, Hey, I can do this on my yoga retreat business. And then when that was finished, I now have the confidence to be like, I can do this on my own. Um, and truth be told, I still don't know what I'm doing. I'm learning. <laughs> I learn something new every single day. You know, like I, like people don't know what they're doing. Like everyone thinks that everyone else has it all together, but they don't. Mm-hmm. You learn as you go. Um, totally. Just like any of their job too, you know? Um, so now we're heading into corporations and like building out leadership programs. Um, though I still coach people one-on-one on career transitions, I lean toward the corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that, that's where I stand. And s- since that point, it, after like a very tough about six months of like getting to know my husband and like also going through kind of like COVID and all that stuff together, we went through a lot of therapy together. I went through a lot of personal therapy and development, um, make sure that we were building a good foundation together and then took the time to launch my business and like really build a community here now. And now I've been here two years and we bought our apartment. Oh, wow. Congratulations. That's um, amazing. Thank you. And I'm also now pregnant. Oh, no way. Another congratulations. (laughs) That's amazing. Thank you. Okay. Now I'm biased. So I'm like almost six months. Yeah, we're literally three weeks out. Uh, So and I don't know when this will be public. So this might actually be in the past. But as of today, we are three weeks from our second. So when is your due date? As long as you're okay with that being public. Sure. I'm due June 4th. Oh my God, you're, you're on your way. Yeah. You're going to have something in three weeks. Three weeks. Another, another life is entering the world. Okay, so holy oh cow. Oh my God, how exciting. I have so many questions, so I have to backtrack just a little bit. Um, when you made that pivot and you're kind of in your apartment, you're like, oh man, what am, what were we doing? It's middle of COVID. Minus all of the just craziness that you experienced, what was the biggest concern you had? with launching the business? Like the number one thing that made you maybe like the, oh, I'm struggling to sleep because of this one thing. Probably there's probably like three. One is like that I was going to fail and like look like silly to like my peers, like, and the rest of the world that I did this, that I mm. took this chance and then fail would fail. So that was one thing. Um, I'm like, what is failure, right? Because, like, it could also just be, like, a bunch of, like, successes you haven't had yet. And, yep. like, how do you even define failure, right? So, that was one thing. It was money. Like, how do I pay for things? Like, mm-hmm. in the beginning, when you're just, like, starting out, like, am I going to make the money that I was making before? Am I going to be comfortable? Um, yeah, I guess those those were, like, the main two. So, failing, money. And then the third is, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. focusing on the failure side how did you overcome that because that's actually one i haven't talked to a lot of people about and i do think that that is that might be one that is probably on almost every you know new entrepreneurial's mind but i don't know if i've talked to anyone about what they did to overcome that so like i work a lot with my clients on this too because everyone works up failure pretty much um in in your own way and not like, not just entrepreneurs, pretty much everyone. And uh, that's inner critic work. So that's, are you aware of the things in your head? And are you aware of separating your thoughts from fact? Like mm. all thoughts that run through your head aren't necessarily fact. And can you actually use mind control to, to realize that? So you're talking about working with saboteurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you're talking about working with self-sabotaging thoughts right Mm -hmm. um because if you fail what happens what is really failure if you really break down like some people think if you tried something you're a winner in in that book you know and like what you know everyone has their own version of what failing and winning is Mm -hmm. right so Mm -hmm. before it was like i was making a ton of money and working at this tech company where i was getting perk after perk after perk but I was miserable so like life succeeding I don't know so 
it's um it's like define what failure is to you and then getting a hold of your sabotors, your self-sabotaging behaviors and being able to separate them, your self-sabotaging rather and being able to separate them from your within or rather intuition, whatever you want to call it. And the real you, the one that makes fingers like your fingertips tingle and mm-hmm. your heart skip a beat, that real feeling, the real you, your intuition um, be able to tap into that more and move away from the inner critic or at least know and identify it when it's there so that you give it less power. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's super fascinating. That's a great perspective on that. Thank you. I, um, I do, there's a lot of inner critic work. If any of your listeners are listening, I, I really like um, Shirzad Chamin's positive intelligence book. He, he talks a lot about the saboteur and he has a, um, and you can look up, you can Google positive intelligence and look up, take the saboteur test and see what your biggest saboteurs are. Um, mine, of course, mine was a perfectionist essentially, which mm-hmm. would like come in and say like, don't do this unless it's going to be perfect, which like that's, going to stop any entrepreneur from doing anything because nothing's going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like progress, not perfection. Right. Um, so that's one. And then the other dealing with failure, I think is having a very strong sense of self. Mm-hmm. So however you get that, um, whether it's prayer or meditation, running, um, connecting with someone, um, going to therapy, reading, whatever it is that like you can find your inner sense of self. Um, the more and more you know her or him, the more likely you're, you are to not be overcome by, by these self-sabotaging thoughts about failure. Oh, man. I, uh, I kind of wish I could end it there because that's the perfect way to end, but I have too many questions. So... <laughs> um uh, that was that was yeah uh, i will totally link all those um the the book and the test in the show notes so if any of you guys want to check those out um you can totally reference those and we'll have those in there um i did want to ask one question about when your uh then boyfriend now husband was going through security and he took all of his things away so and this is just more of a personal maybe a personal uh this is where my area of field is, is privacy and security, right? When you said they took his phone away, like, I'm not even kidding. I almost passed out. I would feel yeah. terrible. Maybe, maybe like exposed is a good word. Like I have no idea. Like everything is on my phone. I mean, I have it incredibly locked down, but again, I also know that the government has things that uh, can probably bypass everything I'm doing on my phone to protect it what were his feelings on that? And like, did he have any worries about his data potentially being looked at by somebody? Of course. Yeah. He went through our WhatsApp conversations. Like those were, we're in a long relationship. There were intimate photos in there and conversations like they, and the thing is they opened his phone with software. They didn't even, um, they didn't even use like make him use his password. They had software that just cracked it open, um, which Apple had. Yeah. And like Apple had not allowed that. I remember during the San Bernardino shootings, I I know that was unfortunate, but they still wouldn't allow the U the, the U S government to open someone's phone. And now they have software that does it. And they do that to immigrants all the time that are crossing the border and go through the phone. And they can go through any personal artifacts. They they can read your diary. Um, they can go through all your things. It's super invasive. And I'm an American citizen, and they did it to me, being that my conversation was being had with him on WhatsApp. Um, so he was, like, traumatized by it. Like, so violated. Like, I don't even know if he, like, he'll feel safe crossing the border again when we, when we do move back there. I was going to say, um, like, but Do you guys have a almost like a even? I mean, is that almost an impediment from you guys even coming back to the states? No, because I mean, we all um, <clears throat> weathered a pandemic in a third world country and like watched like what we didn't have and what 
the, the United States and mm. like first world countries had at their fingertips. And we saw the poverty here and we saw like people here, like when they had, when there were serious lockdowns, like we had to lift the restrictions in Peru because people were starving. Like it wasn't oh, like, geez. it wasn't like the U S where you kind of get, yeah. Like you, if you don't work, you don't eat. So it was so different. Um, be, and really humbling. And this was part of my journey um, being here. So there are, we can see the um, opportunities of being in a first world country, especially being a child there that over that supersede um, what happened to me, even though it was wrong. And I feel it was a human rights violation and um, it was a human rights violation. And I wish that, the American border patrol didn't do that to foreigners welcome them into welcome them into the country. You know, that's not the way that we should treat people. No. And we didn't, we didn't do that. in you know, a hundred years ago and obviously cell phones weren't here, but it's just, it's night and day difference in terms of how things were to where things are now. And it really bothers me. I mean, as an American, I just, I get, I get sick when I hear stories about that. But again, I've only heard this stuff in the news. So it's never been even someone I've interacted with. And then when you hear it, like from an actual first person experience, it just, whew. okay. I just, I had to have, yeah. I had to ask about that because it does, it does really, really bother me. And I was very curious about that. Yeah. And then, you know, what? even more harrowing about it was like I had the savvy and the means to find him if he got lost in a detention center and I had the English and the money to go and get him and take and take care of him like what about moms that are separated from children with no English what about like that what about people that are poor that are coming over and they do that to them and they have no way of getting a lawyer um what about that that was where I was like, this is happening to parents and children separated. Oh. And that one really, that, that shook me when it happened to us. I was like, Oh my God, this is like really bad. And I understand, you know, I know some people say, well, you know, we have to be safe, but I'm just, you know, I think I'd push back and say, we can do better. I think with the resources this country has mm -hmm. and the ability and the innovation and really people who are great thinkers, I just think we can do better. And I, it gets me upset that we don't. I feel like those, you know, like taking someone's phone and I, just plugging it in and starting to analyze it, like with no need, like that is so small in comparison to other issues going on. And even then I'm like, we could do better. Like just the whole thing, we could do better. I totally agree. And, you know, it stems from an executive order from Trump of January 2017, where he said that, that we should increase expedited removals at the, at the border, which happened to my husband's. And, um, you know, there was so much hostility and just an overall rhetoric that, like, treating immigrants poorly was acceptable. And that speaks to an administration that allowed that. I'm not going to, I don't want to get political on it, but like, the um that's an overall feeling and the way you treat people too like so there's that political divisiveness also within the united states that um that's like really polarizing and it's different now because i used to get after it happened i would get shook down at the border all the time um and it doesn't happen as as frequently anymore and i'm sure it's hard not to get political when it happens to you like i think that's another thing i always push back on people and like you know in, in terms of what we should do, I have no idea. It's not my area of expertise. Um, but boy, when those things happen to you and happen to someone you love, I do think no matter where you come from a political standpoint, it does change the way you look at things. And it really does make you kind of feel bad, I would, I, I would imagine, and from, especially from hearing what you're saying. Yeah, it was hard to, to watch and swallow um, the election and the way people were voting and just like talking to me, like I was a extenuating circumstance. Like, yeah, well that happened, but you know, that doesn't really happen. And it's like, no, this is happened to millions of Americans all over people across the world. Like this is part of a hostile administration. Um, so it is personal. So, but the privacy thing, Andy, so right. It, I can't believe that that was allowed and it, 
unfortunately is allowed at the border. Um, and I would wish that other countries could push back against the U.S. for allowing something like that. Yeah, because, I mean, I just think of, like, everything I have on my phone and one bad actor I happen to run into, and he's like, I get to see your phone now. And he takes it, and then he collects that data personally because it wouldn't be hard to do. I would have no idea that that's where it came from. And I, he would have literally access to every, my entire life. And it just yeah, they absolutely terrifies through, me. They, went, they first started with his bank account and they were like, let's see all the money you have in your bank accounts. And they said he didn't have enough to be in the U S for four months, like according to their calculations. And it's like, there's no laws. No, no one knows like how much to have or, you know, so it was like first it's the bank accounts, the WhatsApp phone call, like who are rather conversations, like who knows what else looked at when they had his phone it was um, it's quite wrong. And and some of the other lawyers I talked to said they read through people's diaries, you know, everything. Oh, and like just um, from a human so standpoint, one, you know, law enforcement, whatever. I don't want anyone. To see that information. <laughs> like, I mean, it's literally private for a reason. And I, I truly believe, and I know it's not in our constitution, it is in some other countries, but I do believe we do have a right to privacy. And I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of that. And it drives me nuts when um, you hear of things that are, when you lose your privacy for silly things like that, like it wasn't providing any sort of anything. And honestly, in most situations, I feel that's the, that's the truth. Um, privacy there is there for a reason. And, uh, once you give it up, uh, you don't get it back. Yeah. And like that, the whole thing of like, well, you work in tech. So do I, um, that's the whole thing of being careful about working in tech and paying attention to what's going on around us, what we're allowing. And, um, and if paying attention to and voting for people that are enacting laws in place that will protect consumers, people from some of these larger companies that have monopolies over the privacy of the average consumer. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that 100%. And I think the part I struggle the most, especially from a political level, is it's you're, you're, we're electing in general people who don't understand the technology and have no desire or, des or want to understand the technology. And so you see these uh, political... I don't know what it testimonial questionings and things like that. And you're like, Oh my God, you just asked that question. I cannot believe you just asked that question. <laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah. Why did you ask that? Uh -huh. That has nothing to do with me right now. But again, I could probably, uh, I could probably rant for hours and hours on privacy and all that stuff. And now I'm probably going to do a whole podcast on it. Cause it's been pretty hot in my mind with things coming down the pipeline, but we're low on time. I have two things I absolutely wanted to hear from you before I let you go. Um, number one, and probably the most important, what is the food like down there? And what has changed with your ideas of food since moving to Peru? This is much more lighter of a conversation. Oh, my God. This is a good one. Um, food is processed and, like, available. Like, Farm to table is cheaper here, and it's not called farm to table. It's just like you go to the market <laughs> you and you're getting something from a farm. So it's, things <laughs> 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 it's literally like you go to the market that, like, you know, you have to go out of your way to go to the markets that are cheaper that people who have less money go to um, instead of the big grocery stores because you're just getting such fresh food. Mm -hmm. And it's actually better, you know, husband can't believe that you know, obviously it's by design in the U S that you can't have access to fresh farm to table food without like being a farmer's market or something like that. Um, so the food is so unprocessed and fresh. And that's one of the things of like this journey that has been really there for me, like really getting into my body and having a reverence for food. So people take their time to eat it. Um, there's like a lot of hullabaloo around meals and like celebration around them and mm -hmm. time taken for them too. So that's been like my relationship with food changed so much being here. And also husband's has a really good appreciation for it. It makes everything from scratch that, and you kind of have to, because you can get things 
in a box or in a pan in the store, really. So while it takes longer, it's more ritualistic and, mm-hmm. and way help, um, feels better in my body. Oh, yeah. man. I, I completely and, agree you know, with all that. Uh, so I got diagnosed with ridiculously high cholesterol in 2020. Um, probably a little genetics, maybe a little bit of diet. Um, and probably mostly I just don't enjoy working out. But one of the things that we decided as a family was we were going to do the diet of if you want it, you make it. So if you want bread, guess what? That means you're making bread today. If you want a tortilla, you're going to make a tortilla. If you're going to, you know, and like, I will say it has completely changed the way I look at food. Cause like we made tortillas last night, made wraps, made the sauce. Everything was handmade mind-blowing and it wasn't anything crazy like yeah, we're not talking like is. a complicated meal and, yeah and you're just like and you're also taking your time with it so like, there so speaking to um like the food and the appreciation there's also a reverence here for the earth that I didn't necessarily I was not in touch with when I was in New York City um so there's just like it's paying homage to and noticing that your body is part of a larger system part of the earth and so when you realize that you take a step back and like look at the bigger picture and the same habits of food so you're like you're taking the time to eat it you're mm-hmm. putting the effort into getting your ingredients you're knowing where your ingredients are coming from um all of that so the reverence for the body the reverence for the earth here is is way different and then of course like from like the foodie perspective Peruvian food is delicious they have like really great fusions down here some of the best latin american restaurants here central i heard about maido um like some real good asian influence here um the food is really good and i've changed the way i've eaten so much both in like the health factor of it being unprocessed and um the time that i take and spend with creating the food rather than just like eating at my computer while I'm working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think one of our biggest things in life that um, we're getting much better at is, is that appreciating food, taking the time to make it, learn about it and staying to as raw as possible. Either, you know, you process it yourself, which then, you know, the ingredients and stuff and you know how it's handled or you just don't eat it. And man, I will say it's made a massive difference in terms of, our overall outlook on health outlook on food and also much more appreciation for farmers. <laughs> like you're like, wow, it yeah, really, it really is hard growing them. lettuce. Like it's no joke. Yes. And, and having that, like, I don't know, it's like as COVID made us, right? Like it's like one person got sick and the rest of the world got sick. Did you ever think that could ever happen? So it's similar to that. It's like, everything you know affects the next thing and so what's happening with farmers is going to affect you Mm -hmm. later on like you should know where everything's from it's like that chain of being a part of something bigger totally and i think like something that like i I think in the 90s was really bad was oh let's drive food costs down and now i'm having almost the opposite opinion of that is like man we should be driving food costs up because i want these farmers to make good wages so they keep doing this really, really hard work that they're doing. And then it keeps me sustained and healthy and like, you know, be able to do other awesome things and then, you know, provide additional services and products based on that. And I think it was almost a backward approach we took in the nineties. And I'm, I'm, I'm starting to see a little bit of a change up here in Montana, especially where I live in Missoula. Uh, I don't know how that is in the rest of the world, but I hope that change isn't just here and it's more global. Yeah read and I think like there's been so, so many changes over the past two years with COVID and everything and people taking a step back to reevaluate their life like the people they, they call it the great reset a lot of people are quitting their jobs all of these like big shifts right and I think one of them might happen as well with food and what we ingest because we did gain well hopefully people gained a little bit more time in their lives because they lost their commute mm-hmm. um, so that did allow time for people to do things like writing, reading, cooking, and they're not going to like give that up. So the workforce shifting and it's giving them space to that. Like I know that I spent the past two years 
reevaluating my relationship with food and the way I looked at it. Um, and I, and you just reflected that your family has. So we're moving in that direction. Plus we have a more conscious, um, we have more conscious generations coming. The millennials, Z, Gen Alpha, like they care a little bit more than, than the boomers. <laughs> I hate to say it. <laughs> and I will say like, do. I will say also, I've noticed that, um, I think our generations also inspired that older generation to maybe reevaluate um, some of those things. I know um, my parents have, and I, maybe I haven't actually inspired them. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but I'm going to, I'm going to take credit. And I know they've changed their diet significantly over in the last, you know, five, even, even maybe 10 years. Um, I, I think I know that um, my wife's family has maybe not significantly changed their diet, but I know they've changed their diet in the last five, 10 years. And I kind of hope that uh, we can act as good stewards to those older generations and give them the same kind of positive change that we've had on food. Because I do think it's incredibly important. I think you live a better life and have more energy and you have a better outlook when you also are being sustained by something of high quality. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, and I also think that... Um, emotionally we're helping that generation as well like for my family you know boomers could fall back on um staying in these jobs for 20 30 years and um you know and being okay with the status quo but we don't really have that option anymore because mm -mm. it's not like our life is as good as the boomers were they were our age staying with the quo so it's like what do we have to lose by quitting you know and um so I'm seeing shifts in the way that they, they kind of like observe us. Like, for example, my parents were like, you can't quit your job and move to Peru. You can't quit a job without another job mm -hmm. lined up. <laughs> and I was like, hey, listen, like you worked really hard to like have a house and kids. And that was your goal. And for me, like I worked really hard so that when I was in a situation that no longer served me, I could exit it. And that's what I'm going to do. So like that's freedom to me. This was your idea of freedom. And, and now that I have my business up and running, they're like, I don't know how you did it, but like, <laughs> you, you're so much happier. And you, you did that. Like, I, didn't, I didn't believe you could do it. So like, they didn't believe in me because they didn't believe in themselves, which is the basic um, reason that anyone will kind of naysay you. Um, so yeah. And just to circle it back to the food thing, like, I do think that we are shifting the generation where we're the sandwich generation, right? We're raising kids mm -hmm. and we're going to, we're raising our parents a little bit too. So we're shifting mindsets too. And they have to, because that's the way the whole world is shifting. Yeah, completely agree. It'll be really exciting. Like I think the, the one thing of our diet that uh, we are, I wouldn't say struggling. We are having new challenges every day is with kids. So it'll be very interesting to see like, um, how that works for you and your, your, how you uh, maybe make pivots <laughs> depending on the scenarios. <laughs> Cause boy, uh, I know. kids oh, put a man it is. And it is sometimes we can have the ex one meal one day and the exact same meal the next day. But the way we say what it is, Oh, now I don't like it. <laughs> It's like, oh, it's the same thing as yesterday, and you ate the whole thing. What is going on? Oh, my God. Be nervous. I'm so nervous. Don't worry. <laughs> that one. Uh, so she's four, and uh, she is she is definitely at that stage where she is gaining opinions, and they are, they are now ingrained. So if you say sauce, the word sauce is I won't touch that. So... Pizza, nope, has sauce on it, won't touch it. Uh, spaghetti, you know, can't touch that, it's got sauce on it. And, you know, we hand make all of our sauces. I mean, we're crushing tomatoes and, you know, and seasoning ourselves. And it just is delight delightful, you know, no sugar, all that fun stuff. And, nope, won't touch it. <laughs> and so it's oh my uh, God. constant pivoting, I think. <laughs> and, like, you know, keeping the values that we've established, but then also make sure she gets fed. Look, I don't... I love a big opinion, big opinions on a four-year-old girl. Like at least she's going to be, you know, going to not let anyone take advantage of her. 100%. Well, Hey, it was an absolute blast talking to you, Deanna. I, uh, um, thank you so much for uh, spending an hour with us to kind of talk about your journey and stuff like that. 
Um, you had some of the most amazing quotes. I'm going to get um, a couple things that she talked about in the show notes, but I did want to, I know you talked about your business just a little bit, but I would like you to do a little bit of a pitch for everyone just so they know what you do from a, for a day job um, in your own business. Sure. Thank you so much, Andy. Um, so my business is Deepig Connects Coaching and Consulting, and we are an executive coaching group that comes into corporations and helps to make the workplace a better space for the modern day employee. We work with mid-level high potentials. So um, what we hear about is that most people are struggling to retain talent, um, their mid-level, um, their mid-level talent essentially. So we come in, we help tension, engagement, and succession planning. Um, and we do that in a variety of modules, including one-on-one coaching, group coaching, workshops, and um, and a ver- like a variety of panels as well and speaking engagements. Um, we really just want to empower people. Our mission is to um, have you come into the world and be unapologetically yourself and be your authentic self. So that's what we really want to drive home with people. And we'd love for um, you to set up a discovery call if you're interested in being a leadership program to your business, um, whether it's for your one of your employee resource groups or for your mid-level um, management or your mid-level leaders. I'd love to have a conversation. So you can check out website to sign up for a discovery call. And that's thefigconnects.com. Um, reach out to me. I'd love that. And yeah, thank you so much, Andy, for having me, um, for letting me plug my business a little bit. And this was a real enlightening conversation. So it was fantastic meeting you. Thank you. You too. And uh, I I, uh, hope the best for you. I will definitely put um, all that stuff in the show notes. And uh, definitely, if you guys have a need, please reach out to her. She uh, she knows what she's talking about. It's good stuff. (laughs) Thank you again, Andy. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Talk to you later.